following is an NBC special presentation. This program deals with devil worship and satanic beliefs. It contains explicit scenes and descriptions of violent crimes and rituals. Because of the program's theme and controversial subject matter, parental discretion should be exercised. Well, it seems some silly twit did not get a big enough oxygen pump, but that's supposed to be a devil. Filled up with air, it's very evil and impressive. We salute you, our half-inflated Dark Lord. Oi. gentlemen and everyone else not conforming to that particular binary welcome once again to giving the mic to the wrong person i am your host jeremy joining us together on another cold and rainy portland winter evening both uh on site and externally and remotely we have another round of uh, new friends and old joining us to talk about uh, do a further conversation on let's just say we'll start with say like conspiracy theories and mixing in some uh, uh, some satanic panic and a bit more. On the truth. Capital T, uh, copyrighted and trademarked. It's actually, which, come to think of it, that sounds like something they'd put, they'd run in like a mid-90s, a mid like ad busters, like, quote-unquote satirical, like, full-page color ad. God. Anyway, um, uh, joining me is a couple uh, a couple folks, uh, let's see, new to the show, but hopefully they've, uh, you know, hopefully they've been enjoying what they've heard so far. Uh-huh. And uh, let's see, uh, new friends in the distance, could you introduce yourself to the viewing audience? Uh, whichever one of you wants to go first. I'll go first. Okay. Hello. Uh, my name is Joseph L. Flatley. I'm an author and a journalist based in Pittsburgh. My latest book is called Satan Goes to the Mind Control Convention. And it's a uh, it's kind of an anthology of uh, my trip through the kind of conspiracy theory ghetto um over the last several years and uh, i guess that's why i've been invited to the show and i'm jg michael from parallax views and zero books alternatives podcast uh we just did a show on alternatives covering conspiracy theories and uh like joseph flatley i've been uh you know through the conspiracy ghetto as as joseph uh has put it that's sort of what brought us together uh, and I'm looking forward to this uh, discussion about the uh, wild world of conspiracy theories. Excellent. Thank you. And uh, joining us here in the studio, that's you. Yeah, I'm Jacob. I am the humble artisan who lives in the conspiracy ghetto, and I'm fighting against the gentrification of it as hard as I can. <laughs> as I say, you can't fight City Hall or the developers who control City Hall in most cities. Currently, all I'm just saying is that Bill Cooper was a real G. Oh, uh, yes, he had it all figured out. If you if you want to know what's going on in City Hall, just just watch some, uh, listen to some past episodes of the Hour of the Time, the Proto Alex Jones. What all e- your questions will be answered. What era? What era? What, what was that? Because Jones started broadcasting in like around like 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 Waco era, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah a little 1990s. early nineties. Yeah. And uh, he lasted until 2001, just about. And then, of course, he there was a 
great consp- it's like that Mr. Show sketch where they're they're like holed up in a mountain and then like David Cross like runs out with a gun and he gets shot and then everybody's panicking. They're like, I don't understand what happened. He was just shooting at the feds and they shot him. That was that's how Bill Cooper went out. Jill, oh my god, oh what's my happened? God. They the shot hell? Tom! Bob David, they shot Tom! Why? Jill, tell us exactly what happened. Tom was just shooting at them and then they shot Tom. Why? <laughs> I'm going out there. Death by cop? Or suicide by cop then? Yeah, Pr- essentially. what he preached. Get off my land! Get off my property! Leave me alone! Liberal two-run media! HBO Hebrew box office! Y'all leave me! That's the scene here on day 16 of the Mr. Showdown. The facts remain as they have from the beginning. Very little has changed. You know, Cooper Cooper was just a, uh, you know, say what you will about him. He was a brilliant showman. Uh, and he is sort of the prototype for, you know, people like Alex Jones. It's amazing how he was able to reinvent himself time after time after time. I mean, he started out as, uh, you know, a guy on the UFO lecture circuit, you know, cue the X-Files music. Then he gets into the uh, JFK stuff. He was the guy who famously argued that it was the uh, driver of the uh, car that shot Kennedy. And then he, uh, you know, threw all that behind him, uh, especially the UFO stuff, and became sort of the uh, the militia guy, uh, especially during the hour of the time, his radio broadcast, which is one of the most entertaining intros I've ever heard. Uh, do you remember that intro, Joseph? Oh, yeah. Time? <laughs> yeah, it's like it was like the intro to the hilarious House of Frankenstein, that old Canadian kids show. It was like wow. it had this, it had like really bad beat poetry over like dogs barking and sirens. And then somebody saying like beat poetry about the new world order. I recommend that all the episodes are on archive.org. I recommend that everybody after listening to this, go check that out for sure. Yeah, I have to push back on this a little. To me, saying that he was the proto Alex Jones is like saying that the Pixies were proto Fallout Boy. <laughs> I mean, I don't. Even I'm know not going to argue with that. I was. I don't even know how you can make that leap because the there. It's like that's we're we're several different lineages there. But anyway, I'm just saying. Well, you, you know, know, the whole Alex Jones thing is it's really like the commercialization and dumb down dumbing down of. Bill Cooper, say what you are from like as say what you will about Bill Cooper being a a wingnut. Like the guy had was had was some kind of weird intellectual, and um, you know, but his format was very similar to to Alex Jones's is what I'm saying. Like the um, and that's really and, and the subject matter. But yeah, Alex Jones, chump. Bill Cooper was the real deal. Excellent. The um, I was gonna say yeah, uh, pour one out for pour one out for a real one. Uh, we just lost, uh, yeah, just lost the big LaRouche too. You know, the big LaRouche. <laughs> oh my gosh, I know. I used to, I used to love seeing those guys. They, 
be outside of the uh, post office with their books about how like there is no such thing as an ozone layer and stuff like and they would you know and if you if you gave them like your friend's address they'd like show up at their house and then your friend would hate you for life that was a fun group i tried to hook up with a larouche girl in college but she wouldn't go for it because i refused to drop out (laughs) larouchean but yeah so is this what you uh we're envisioning Jeremy or something like that. Yeah. Everything well, completely off the rails. Oh no, no. <laughs> as long, as long as it's entertaining and as, at this point, as long as it's compelling for someone to actually hear, I think we're doing pretty good. Um, let's see. Can you, I guess, can you uh, pitch your, you know, just pitch your book to the, or at least the, what is it? The main, I think the main work in your book to our viewing audience. Sure. Well, um, it's, uh, the, the main part of the book, it's called Satan goes to the mind control convention. And, the reason it's called that um, is the first half of the book, maybe it's like closer to two thirds of the book is an, a new investigation that I did um, starting about a year ago, this time of a group called the ISSTD or the international society for the study of trauma and dissociation, which is a mouthful. And it's also a um, organization for, for recovered memory therapists, therapists who think that memory can be repressed uh, first of all, in like a really, literal way that is just has nothing to do with reality and then thinks that it becomes repressed because you know either they're picked up by ufos or the cia or the satanists were experimenting on them on on the victims and um and these recovered memory therapists think they can uncover the memories um and there's actually professional organ i you know this is like stuff that was big in the 80s during the satanic panic and i was pretty shocked to find out that um not only is it still going on but they have this like hundreds strong uh professional organization that has a uh has a meeting in chicago every every spring and um i just had to check it out so i went and tried to crash it and they were very uh either very media shy or they could tell that i was a goofball or both but they wouldn't let me in but um i ended up meeting a bunch of satanists who were there in their role kind of as activists to um for a campaign to shut down the isstd so I hung out with ISSTD a little bit. I hung out with the Satanists. I wrote this book about like the new resurgent satanic panic, and that's the book I'm trying to get people to buy right now. Excellent. On the, um, <laughs> I just realized uh, showing my age of. Does anyone want to take a crack at this at kind of uh, describing what the satanic panic was to? Um, some of our, let's see, some of our, uh, you know, our handful of, uh, handful of listeners who might, maybe not have, would have been, you know, as conscious of it way back when. Well, I think there's always been iterations of it, uh, you know, especially for millennials, right? Mm. Uh, in the eighties, it was like, uh, Dungeons and Dragons is going to turn your kid into a devil worshiper. Dungeons and Dragons. Satan's game. Your children, like it or not, are attracted in their weaker years to the occult, and a game like D&D fuels their imagination and makes them feel special while drawing them deeper and deeper into the bowels of El Diablo. You know, kids that grew up in the 90s, though, uh, the big thing was, uh, you know, the the church uh, pastors would tell the kids that, uh, you know, Pokemon's going to turn you into a devil worshipper. I'm sure we have something like that now, we just don't hear about it for some odd reason uh i I can't think of an example at least but uh there's always been this sort of undercurrent of you know uh new agers wiccans uh kids that play video games whatever the big thing is you know 
uh, oh, it's it's turning our kids into devil worshippers. I mean, that was even true going back to the fifties. Yeah, rock and roll like, is uh, devil's the music. From the crypt comics, you know, yeah. it's corrupting our youth. So the satanic panic is just one more example of that. Uh, Joseph, would you want to take it from there? Well, I, I would say that it the specific moral panic we're discussing, the satanic panic, was kind of a conservative Reagan counter revolution reaction to. Um, to the 60s and the 70s, which was, of course, the hangover of the 60s, and um, basically a reaction to everything from um, more widespread acceptance of homosexuality and religions other than Christianity, and and even like women in the workforce and women, um, you know, and kids spending time at daycare centers instead of being home all day with their mom – so so while the the model of the moral panic has always been around and always will be around, I'm sure, um, the very specific shape that the satanic panic that we're referring to took was um, a fear and a fear and paranoia about witches and Satanists and heavy metal music and Dungeons and Dragons. And, you know, it, it picked on a lot of these like um, American cultural things um, that made it kind of like kind of hilarious, <laughs> you know. It's like it was serious, and people got hurt. Uh, people went to jail. Um, people got involved in like ISSTD type recovered memory therapy and had their lives ruined. But it's also kind of funny because you know there's a dark humor element to it because they're, you know, just Google like the uh, Geraldo Satanic Panic uh, documentary on on Google and and you'll see like. It's just absurd. Like, the whole thing's absurd. Like, Let's go to, uh, to London for a, a quick in, uh, exchange with Ozzy Osbourne. Ozzy, I'm, I'm glad you're on the program. I'll interview you in greater detail in a couple of minutes. The one thing I have to ask you now, though, is, of course, the vast majority of your fans and the fans of heavy metal music are not Satanists. But there is no doubt, at least not in our reporting, that, say, uh, that heavy metal music plays a role. Every single kid that we, whose case we know about, who committed a violent act in Satan's name was also into heavy metal music. What's your response to that, Austin? Well, I don't really know. All I, all I do is um, make music, you know. I don't, I, don't, I don't sit down and purposely plan to freak everybody out. I mean, I always have played heavy metal music. Uh, I suppose when I was younger and I started writing songs, my world was kind of dark and dingy, you know. I, was, I came from a working-class family who had nothing, no, no dough, no prospects of ever having much money. And so that's, that's how I saw the world as a child. And so well, not all my songs are about Satanism. Of course not. In fact, if you... And that, I guess that's what a moral panic is. 20 years later, you're looking at it and going, how could anybody believe this stuff? But at the time... It was very real and very frightening to a large number of people. Yeah, it's like, as you said, it's it sent a lot. It's between the well, let's see, it's because I know the, the Satanic Panic was a thing that was sort of at least the, what became definitely the you know the main '80s version definitely showed up in like the '70s, and you had like I think you had guys like uh, what's his name Mike Warnke or something who were kind of like yeah. really fed into it. But I'm wondering um, when did when did the because uh, I'm like, curious about the uh, like let's say like the the, the tie-ins to um, it's the tie-ins to like recovered memory and like professional psychologist types because I'm kind of curious how much the 
what kept that entire like um you know the you know the, you know the the the, the quote unquote capital P professional culture of that group alive for someone for you know until like fucking now you know after you know into the modern era um if it, you know yeah, those people are still around yeah those those yeah. psychiatrists yeah but, well that's the thing is like, well, how- I'll I'll say it took a major hit in the 80s and 90s because um because basically the whole th- well we don't really know exactly the extent of the trouble and of the issue and and that is because it took a big hit in the 80s and 90s when um patients started uh suing their their uh their doctors basically and insurance companies stopped covering this kind of treatment so it's still going on but it's not it's not even regulated as little as it was before because you know there's no nobody's involved aside from the doctor and the patient. And as long as the patient has disposable income or credit cards or whatever and can keep making the payment, they'll keep conducting the therapy. But if you're not in that world, you don't know. And that's kind of one of the reasons I wrote this book and I self-published it. Mm-hmm. You know, I talked to a couple independent publishers and I realized that it would take like a year and a half to come out. And I just thought, I want to put this out now, do press for it now, and then hopefully communicate with people who have, who are involved with uh, this, um, you know, with this, this stuff. I don't know. Phenomenon, um, culture, so, phenomenon, whatever. Yeah, I mean, it is because it's a big question mark, but it's obviously real. And I, I see parallels with that and like Pizzagate and the more mainstream conspiracy theory stuff. It's all like a strange... M- mental quirk of human beings to believe the stuff that's just like so far afield yeah that's 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 the thing is that's that is what fascinates me about this kind of stuff is the um it's almost like the the words change but the song remains the same um oh, absolutely and it's and it's kind of like there's always a you know and it's like these that's why i think when we recorded the first couple um of these uh you know uh, in our last couple of episodes it was more, i'm more interested in like the like the you know how do the how does this phenomenon work you know not just the particular conspiracy theories themselves because it's always you know the, the specifics are always kind of like particular to the to the place and time but mm-hmm. the um there's some but it's it's the more of the you know how you know how do these things rhyme with each other um but one of the, well, one of the notes that i one of the questions i did have on this particular um i guess grouping or whatever i'm curious how much it was it was how, how much life was was continued to give to it you know due to the fact that these guys had an entire again it was the full-on like the full trappings of the profession you know the kind of like credentialed professional organization is at some point mm-hmm. it, it, you know it feeds into the old like there's an entire like um like what convention and in, uh industrial complex kind of a thing of like that at some point it just becomes it, it gets its own like self-sustaining inertia yeah you know this particular organization um uh you know I finished this book, uh, published it four months ago, and I've been on other projects. And compl- <laughs> a lot of this stuff is like new to me. But um, I think, if I remember correctly, when I checked its financials, it it like raked in like a half a million dollar a year, half a million dollars a year. So it wasn't like a, it's not a big organization. It's like a respectable small professional organization. It you know has income. It has it it creates this. It puts on this. Um, conference and it sells some materials and then it probably expends just as much money as as they're raking in um but you know it was interesting because the conference did not pitch itself as being recovered memory therapy or or you know 
you will hear about UFOs abducting people, which you definitely would if you had been there. It was more, you know, it was more about build itself as kind of like a general kind of like a trauma therapist's conference. Um, just anybody, anybody in the field who need to get their continuing education credits, which is something you need when you're in the medical field, like could go there and take, you know, observe the conference and get credits. Oh yeah. Um, but, um, but once you started talking to people there, like, all the crazy came out. There was absolutely no hiding it. And that's what I found really, really interesting about it. Just like a little bit of a... Oh, go on. No, I was just saying, like, because really, in American life, like, it's not like there's anybody that would keep an eye. I mean, this keep an eye on conferences and make sure that they're, like, towing the right, you know, party line or whatever. It's, it's America. You can say whatever you want. And these people... And I'm sure there are a lot of people saying a lot of crazy things and that's kind of like the conspiracy theory conundrum it's like it seems bizarre it seems dangerous almost but what can you do other than like hope that you have a better argument you know you can't legislate against this stuff right i wouldn't want you to at least um one of the um the, uh, going back in the connection i'm wondering if you because it's one of the things that i can remember i was old enough to exp- to at least you know hear a lot of this stuff because i was you know I was an 80s kid, and so you'd always hear about, like, the stuff pe- people, you know, concerned, like, uh, Helen Lovejoy parents freaking out about, <laughs> um, de- you know, heavy metal. And al- always the, mo- like I said, the most comically, like, Halloween store heavy metal. In almost every instance of violence or death as a result of Satanism, heavy metal music has been involved. What does the music really say? Reading the lyrics can help you recognize the evil and potential danger of rock's entanglement with the occult. Heavy metal group Venom offers a blow-by-blow account of an actual human sacrifice. But and and Dean Dean whatnot, and it's kind of a thing of. Part of it was it was yeah it was that that one like the psychological connection. So that's one of, one of the things I'm curious is like at what um if you had any. If you guys had any ideas about or could talk about, like, when did the, because it's kind of like, there's always been, like, you know, kind of like moral and satanic panics and whatnot. When did the whole, like, recovered memory bit start, like, you know, bleeding in into this particular phenomenon? Um, I I think that was um, specifically kind of the work of this this, uh, book called The Courage to Heal, um, which was written by, if I remember, Ellen Bass and... Laura Davis and they um and basic basically when um in the seventies there's this whole kind of lay movement of of uh uh med- med- like uh non professional mental health workers like therapists and stuff who weren't you know PhD level they were you know lay people I guess they right. they were um you know uh, like social workers and stuff um started really just developing almost in a grassroots method as a feminist reaction to all the terrible therapy going on, you know, at least since Freud, you know, um, right. their own way of looking at things like incest and rape and what have you. And they really developed this, this kind of this theory of repression that they borrowed the word from Freud, but they didn't really actually use Freud's theories. They, you know, they pretty much said, you know, they they conceived of the psych as like a tape recorder or something. Like everything you say gets recorded, and then if it's traumatic enough, it gets hidden, and then we need to have techniques to to unearth that. And then it really just 
I just think it was the right um it was the right message for the time and it fit in perfectly with like all the other uh satanic panic aspects and took on a life of its own and now you have people I mean a lot of people in this country think still that um that memories you know can be recorded and then repressed even though science and doesn't doesn't believe that it's like kind of cult wisdom or popular wisdom and um and it's just taken on a life of its own and it doesn't seem to be going anywhere great hmm. to what extent did that make its way into the official scientific thinking though well i mean um uh it's in the dsm4 um not repressed memories but um dissociative identity disorder and it's in you know and it's written in a way that allows for for repressed memories and stuff it was um i don't know if it was the, ever the consensus i don't know if it was ever like but but psychology uh, is kind of a weird field like like people like to stay in their lanes like now if you go and talk to a therapist you know they might not uh, if they don't agree with with uh like the theories of repression they probably just don't give it much thought and they're not really going to have a problem with it you know they're not going to like come out against one of their colleagues they just say you know eh, different strokes for different folks you know so it's you know it's not super cut and dried it's not like we all agree on you know psychology is a little different than i think some of the more uh like like the material science like that but enough people believe in it and believed in it to cause problems for hundreds if not thousands of people so i mean the problem is there yeah well, I'd like to comment on that. Um, you know, I, I think people also forget that uh, this kind of thing, it, it may be discredited in the sort of psychiatric community at this point, but uh, it, it has infected a lot of uh, people's thinking, including people within the Trump base. I mean, there was a, a case in uh, Oregon where you guys are of a guy named John Captain, who was a, a Trump donor there. And he was giving all his money to uh, Trump uh, and sending letters to Trump asking him to look into the death of his girlfriend, uh, who he claimed was a Project Monarch mind-controlled sex slave. And this guy was giving Trump money. You know, I think there's a lot of people in the base that believe in these really out-there conspiracy theories like Project Monarch. And I think that's the part that uh, people forget. This really ties into where we're at as a country and and what does it and you know kind of where's the tipping point mm -hmm. you know may, you know probably one out of every two people doesn't believe this stuff probably one out of every 10 doesn't believe this stuff but if one out of every 20 people are like a you know are divorced from reality you know believe that the earth is flat and that you know you know the uh there was no there were no there was no world trade center and uh <laughs> and the boston bombing was a hoax you know like where does that leave us that's still like a major political and social headache right is even even yeah that's the thing is like even if one out of 100 people don't believe it you that still leaves you with you know 3. Point, you know 3.3 3 million people believe in something sure and you know you you could say perhaps you know um, the majority of, you know, I've seen studies that sit, that question like the idea that that conspiracy belief is growing, or that you know more people are conspiracy theorists now than were ten years ago. But when the most powerful man on this planet is a <laughs> conspiracy theorist and has a megaphone or a Twitter account that nobody can turn off, like that's still gonna have some serious ramifications. Well, not only that, but you have people running around trying to like 
you know, bring guns into into Comet Ping Pong in D.C. I mean, some of these people are just, uh, you know, they're dangerous. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that is the, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's the fun trick is when, what happens when the people, in, uh, and we've mentioned this on, on the last couple of episodes of what happens when the people in power are the ones who actually believe the, uh, not only believe their own, believe their own shtick, believe their own press, but actually kind of believe the, uh, um, you know, believe, you know, believe the legend as it were. Yeah, you know, there's this feedback loop in a, one of Robert Anton Wilson's books, he talks about how the um, like the whole Russian section, the Soviet section of uh, of the CIA was the Reinhard Gellin organization. So this guy Reinhard Gellin was, you know, in charge of of uh, intelligence in Nazi Germany, and he had all the files on the Soviet Union. So when you know when Nazi Germany was defeated, instead of throwing this guy in jail, they gave him know, a job, incorporated his entire organization into the CIA. And um, he, so he was reporting on the Soviets, and he knew that if the Soviets weren't a threat, he was going to be out of a job. So the Soviet threat, you know, through his paperwork and analysis, kept getting bigger and badder, you know. Or, um, or there are stories about Ronald Reagan that believe, you know, Ronald Reagan believing American anti-Soviet propaganda that uh, really blew up the threat that the Soviet Union was. And then when the CIA tried to tell him, you know, this is stuff that we actually made up. It, this is not real. You know, he wouldn't believe it. So, like, all this misinformation and disinformation creates, like, a feedback loop that only makes things weirder and less um, less based in reality. Yeah, I think, which reminds me of uh, something that Alex Perrine mentioned, that that Trump was just, uh, that Reagan was effectively Trump, only he could actually, like, you know, he actually... Uh, you know, could follow a script and mind his handlers a lot better. <laughs> yeah. One was an actor and one was on reality television. Right. The, I'll uh, tell you, though, I think Trump is hilarious. Like, even though, like, he's president and he's an existential threat, I still cannot. I, 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 I love his speeches. He is such a lunatic. And it's just, we got the president we deserve, I think, whether I like it or not. Yeah, that is the one thing. That's kind of the... Uh... That's yeah. That's the one thing I was trying to explain to folks of of um. It's like at some point, yeah. This is this isn't. I mean, yeah. Things kind of t you know, th things were kind of uh, had a bit of a rupture a couple of years ago. But it's like there's you know they there were you know it's kind of like, it's like the logical endpoint of everything that had come before. Well, absolutely. For me, I guess what I find interesting about this is that the current state that we're in seems like it is just the end of a longer road, and the problem which I discussed somewhat in the last episode, is finding out what you think you can trust. And to me, there's a lot of bleed between things that are actual conspiracies and things that are dismissed as conspiracy theories. And I'm not somebody who subscribes to, you know, the Comet Ping Pong Basement stuff. Uh, but, you know, I do tend to give some credence to the UFO stuff. And we get into this situation, though, where... A lot of what you think is or is not a conspiracy theory depends on where you get your information and who you trust. Well, that's the trick, is it? You know, just basic, you know, uh, yeah, the truth claims and um, issues of like, you know, you know, I got what epistemic closure and whatnot. I think the um, I'll let you guys, I'll let our guests talk. Uh, uh, either JG or or Joe, do you want to address that? Well, if I, if I could comment real quick, I mean, the the issue with conspiracy theories, I can see stuff like, you know, uh, there's a possibility that the October surprise 
was a thing. I that 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 seems at least a bit more believable to me than crazy. You know, uh, aliens are creating hybrids for the Illuminati type thing. Uh, my concern with conspiracy theories and conspiracy culture is the way in which conspiracy culture can be weaponized. Yeah, uh, that's you know, true. a lot of the uh, McCarthyites were influenced by uh, conspiracy theorists like Myron Fagan who was one of these uh, people that pushed uh, Illuminati and CFR conspiracies, but he also famously pushed uh, conspiracy theories about the Reds are taking over Hollywood, the communists, blah, blah, blah. Uh, And I think we see that now, too. I mean, we have a president in office. Whether he actually believes in conspiracy theories or not, he's very much willing to tell his uh, voter base, you know, I will not respect an election if I lose. It was a deep state plot. And when you have a president that is willing to tell his base that and they believe him, that creates, you know, a a really volatile situation. Uh, I don't know what Joseph thinks of that, but that's my take on uh, the problem of conspiracy. Absolutely. I mean, um, like, it's interesting because when we talk this, your previous episode on this and episodes on this and then this one, really like we're talking about, and every podcast I've done the last year, um, are really talking about right-wing, far-right-wing or right-wing populist conspiracy theories. and Because that's really what's in the air right now, and that's what needs to be discussed. Um, but of course, like, until the 70s, like through the 60s and 70s, um, conspiracy theories were really more more of a, like a far-left, new-left kind of thing. You know, it's like the yippies, Wait, Robert Anton Wilson. Yeah, exactly. And like... Um, and that stuff's fun. That's why I got into this stuff. But it's like, but we're, we're specifically talking about like kind of the role in this like right wing culture that we're in right now. And and absolutely like the danger is and the reason I feel compelled to write about it. One of the reasons is that it's it's a very popular tool in the right wing despots toolkit. Um, and I mean, there's definitely, you know, social scientists been studying this for years you know chip Berlay has been studying this for years um like there is a role that conspiracy theories play in the rise of a demagogue someone like trump um and that's why i in the book narrowly defined conspiracy theories as things that are just flat out unprovable or un or um you know basically pseudo history or I th- I think I coined the term pseudo politics, which is like you know pseudo history in the political realm. Um, conspiracy theory, depending on how you define it, and there are like a million definitions of it, can be a number of things. And in some of those cons- some of those definitions, I'm probably a conspiracy theorist myself. So I'm you know I think I'm it. I think we have to define our terms, and I would like to narrowly, you know, if I'm going to pick on conspiracy theorists, it's going to narrowly be you know. Um, the people that are part of like the larger far right wing project. Jacob, do you think that there's a concern about that sort of thing being weaponized similarly on the left? Um, well, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I guess it could be. Um, I don't really see it happening. Um, the left in this country doesn't really fight on those terms. That's why. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it's not exactly. Yeah, it's not exactly that's, symmetric. Uh, symmetrical in formation, is it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I would hate to see that. You know, I think like you need an, an intellectually honest position to 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 uh, to fight from if you're going to have any kind of like social justice. Um, but, you know, I think I mean, I could see not not the left, 
but you know, kind of the left half of Congress, you know, could be, you know, the the neoliberal arm could, you know, use that stuff. It probably does just as well as your more right wing crazies. Yeah. I, I was gonna say, I think, uh, you know, the left is more focused on, as far as I can tell, structural analysis. Um, you know, conspiracies can happen, but I, I think there's a more structural view of these things. There aren't these uh, grand conspiracy narratives as much on the left although you know i've heard i've heard sort of uh these liberals and, and supporters of in particular neoliberalism people like steven pinker have tried to argue that uh you know well even talking about system, systemic racism I, I think pinker was the one that said uh that's conspiratorial thinking uh or you know yasha levine who is uh written about silicon valley and i think uh joseph and i have both interviewed him a lot of people want to write him off as a conspiracy theorist, whereas I see him more as, you know, just a, a crack investigative journalist. Um, I, I think you have to really parse out the terms, though. And I think when Joseph and I talk about conspiracy theories, as he said, uh, we're talking more about the grand conspiracy narratives that want to claim that there's a one world government conspiracy or an Illuminati or Freemasons or, you know, the big one is, you know, a lot of times when these conspiracy theorists say uh, Illuminati or Freemasons, they're actually dog whistling they're, they're yeah. dog whistling their anti-semitic conspiracy theories about jewish people Glo- globalists yeah the globalists was that any good was- I, i'm not very good with my alex jones impersonation but the globalists gotta watch their ass now because they want the end of man to be here and their humet to be over they want to all be about machines and digital and social engineering and control and manipulation i mean it's conspiracy theory um as i define it is really it's the same as pseudoscience. It starts with the end, the thing we want to believe. You know, the World Trade Center was, was knocked down by lasers. And then it works its way backwards. And then when you try to work your way forward, it doesn't, you can't actually make that proof. Um, and I mean, it's, I mean, it's pretty simple to me. Like, to, to anybody with an agenda, a conspiracy theory is going to be something that you don't agree with. <laughs> you know? Um, That's I mean, what I, I was trying to get at earlier, too, with, with what I said prior. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I um, it's interesting being on this show and having heard your previous episodes and hearing how you take a more kind of like critical, like, you know, like step back and take more of like a critical view, wide ranging view. I have a real hard time with that. Um, how so? so? That's why I specifically like kind of focus on particular conspiracy stories. Um, I think there's something to be learned by like under, trying to understand those and and pick them apart and like i really don't even think i don't even see i see the conspiracy phenomenon as a subculture you know and it has all the things that are like you know subcultures can be good and they can be bad and they can have you know they can waste people's time and they can you know enrich your life and there can be assholes and you can you can meet some like really cool people so like kind of these bigger questions of like what is the difference between journalism and conspiracy theory it's like well journalism is journalism the conspiracy theory is conspiracy theory i don't know how i mean i know that as a journalist i commit acts of journalism every day and how i'm going about my job is different than like a conspiracy researcher so-called i've been listening to a podcast called knowledge fight uh where they take an old episode of alex jones's show from like 2009 and then listen to a modern day episode to see what the difference is like and that yeah, is it's, it's sort of a comedy podcast but they they reveal a lot about alex jones like his uh his use of um 
you know, the term globalist around the same time that, you know, the KKK was using the term. He was using a lot of these right wing racist dog whistles very early on. And people forget about that. And Knowledge Fight is very good at revealing that. Well, I guess it depends on how racist you think the Birch Society is. Um, I would like to know, um, Jacob. What's up? How are you a conspiracy theorist, and why are you? I am a conspiracy theorist. I think to a certain extent. Well, the biggest thing is probably the fact that I believe that UFOs are a legitimate phenomenon, but I also just tend to be suspicious of official narratives. Uh, I, like I mentioned previously, I think I'm half conspiracy theorist in as much as I tend to think that there's a lot going on that we don't know about, but I think that people tend to leap to conclusions. I think it's enough that you have the Bilderberg group getting together without assuming that they're all adrenochrome drinking Satanists. <laughs> Can I, I comment on that real quick? Go ahead. They so, are adrenochrome. That's it. It'd be more interesting if uh, they were. I, I, I was going to mention, um, there's a really great sociologist by the name of uh, Peter Phillips. Uh, he used to be the head of um, Project Censored. And he uh, he wrote the dissertation. It's, it's a dissertation on uh, Bohemian Grove called a relative advantage and uh you know he offered to get alex jones into the bohemian grove because when he did the dissertation uh they allowed him in they spoke to him about all these things and you know peter phillips came out with a very critical view of bohemian grove he basically was saying you know this is like an old boys club for people to get ahead you know and in that sense he looked at it very sociologically as a thing that like wasn't necessarily good it's it's uh it's an old boys club. It's a Praetorian guard that sort of, you know, it creates unfair advantage. Uh, but that's very different from these Alex Jones type claims of, you know, oh, they're sacrificing babies, you know, to to uh, a giant owl statue. You know, I, and I think that's the line where, you know, people have to differentiate between uh, critical analysis and conspiracy theories. I don't know what Joseph thinks of that or uh, if he has a take on that. Well, you know, it's interesting because Alex Jones or like just your most batshit crazy conspiracy theorist on one hand and like a sociologist like G. William Domhoff or like a, uh, you know, like a Bob Perry consortium news, like as a journalist, you know, they have right mills, the power elite. Exactly. See, right. Mills. They have like the same concerns and the same interests. It's just they go about it in vastly different ways. One, you know, uses the rigors of social science or investigative journalism and um, tries to find some answers. And the other, um, you know, creates like sub uh, National Enquirer entertainment for people that don't know the difference between the two things. Um, You know, I, I think that like the obsessions and the methods of like kind of like your old school like 1970s yippee conspiracy theorists um i mean i i share those interests um i think that you know those are i think that has nothing to do with alex jones alex jones is using the same like the same uh, subject matter but he's you know exploring it and uh exploiting it in a completely different way um i mean it's really like almost like silly to keep talking about it like because it's like um this is like why i became a journalist i would read things in paranoia the conspiracy quarterly or some other zine steam shovel press and then i'd want to get down to the bottom of it so i'd start writing reading c Wright mills or the nation magazine or covered action quarterly um, and the answers were there. I didn't have to go to this, like, these really extreme, like, sources 
to find to get a sense of what I was looking for. You know, like, I mean, I think on some level people are Alex Jones fans because they just want an adrenaline rush. I don't know. They, it's they it's don't... sexier. Yeah. It's sexier to them. Yeah. That's... You said Alex Jones is sexy. <laughs> Hey, that, I didn't go there. That, that that photo of him, like he played high school football. There was that. There's that photo of him with him. He still looks like uh, when he actually he still has that you know that early '90s Texas hair. You know the same Texas haircut that uh, Steve Austin when he was still Steve Williams had back in the early '90s. And um, yeah, it's, I mean since then that's the freakiest thing. Alex Jones is only like like what three or four years older than me, and looks like twenty years older than me. <laughs> Who is the most kissable conspiracy theorist out there? Oh, um, I can't think of her name. Patricia Steer or something. Flat Earth and Other Hot Potatoes. She does like a Flat Earth podcast. And um, I just watched, there's like a new documentary about Flat Earthers on um, on Netflix. And I was watching it. I guess I had a phone date. I was watching it and my buddy Stu was watching it at his house and he kept texting me. He's like, I can't believe, I can't believe that these loser Flat Earthers get to date her. I should become a flat earther. I need a girlfriend. This may like, be well, our thirstiest episode. Was she the? Um, I, can't, I think she actually might have popped up in. It was either in like in. I think the it was either like one of the bread tubes about this one. I think you can't remember if it was H bomber guy or or Sean did one on like the flat earthers. I think they actually mentioned her. And like, was she the? Is she like the the, um, the slightly older redhead lady who talks about these things? Or am I thinking of someone yeah, else? Yeah, like her show. Like when she she does it in her computer room and she has like a jukebox and like all these like the Smiths vinyl like in frames. Yeah, and she's on got, the wall behind her. Okay, yeah, I remember that shot. Yeah, because she she has like this badass. What looks like this awesome like three thousand dollar looking Gretsch uh, guitar mm-hmm. on on the wall right behind her. But yes, Alex Jones definitely the sexiest. I think the if, thing, you, if you're JG Michael, I think for me what I would say distinguishes me from your real hardcore conspiracy theorist types is that I'm willing to entertain some really wild out there ideas and I'm willing to kind of chew on them. And there are some, uh, particularly involving things like CIA misdeeds and government surveillance that I'm probably willing to go farther on than some people, but I'm more comfortable being uncertain, I think, whereas a lot of these really hardcore types, it has to be 100% true, and if you don't agree with them, then you're a brainwashed, you know, uh, sheep. Yeah. That's interesting, because I'm happy to be uncertain as well i put more things in like the question mark box than in the confirmed or denied boxes but um i mean i just feel like to stay sane in this world you have to like you really have to like operate as if things are not proven until they are proven um i used to have this conversation with this podcaster jason horsley who does this uh show called the liminalist and you know he was that's a mouthful Good name. Yeah. You know, he was like, he believes, he's not sure, but he believes he was like probed by aliens. And then like his family is involved in like social engineering to like, you know, the new world order, blah, blah, blah. And like we'd get in the, we'd get in this conversation all the time. And until he decided that I was a dupe of the conspiracy and stopped talking to me. But um, he was like, you know, I was like, you have to like just kind of rely on common sense and not go, you know. It's like once you start like believing things based on conjecture, based on a conjecture, based on a conjecture, you're out in outer space. And um, of course, he would always come back and say, yeah, but what's common sense? Um, Which I don't know. Um, But I will say that just on as an operational principle, um, 
you kind of have to live your life like thinking that until someone tells me otherwise the world is round and that gravity exists you know um but it's healthy and this is what i get from the conspiracy theorists and this is why i am affect have an affectionate uh kind of feeling towards the conspiracy theorists is you have to question everything i don't feel i find it really funny and i think this is kind of like a neoliberal consensus thing when the very fact that you're asking questions gets attacked and it's always like somebody's like weird pet project like vaccination it's like i'm not coming out against vaccinations i got vaccinated but i am not so offended when somebody just asks a basic question even if i think it's a dumb um i think there's a lot of self-censorship and i think that like a lot of what kind of expresses itself as being you know kind of the sober voice of reason is just like a completely different type of reaction it's like a you know it's a, a like a conformity police an, author- an authoritarian response rather than an, an authoritative response yeah i like that right, was I, that? I wanted to comment on something uh that, that joseph sort of said this question everything thing right because the, the issue i've always had with conspiracy theorists is they believe question everything until you start questioning them like, you know, and you have all these authoritarian ties when you look into the conspiracy culture. You have people like, uh, you know, Jim Mars, who uh, his book Crossfire was the basis of uh, Oliver Stone's JFK, al- along with uh, Jim Garrison's um, On the Trail of the Assassins. But Jim Mars was all connected to uh, Scientology. And, and, you know, there's people that, you know, worship Jim Mars's work as, you know, unquestionable. If you're in the conspiracy circles, and I just find a lot of it to be a very authoritarian in its own way, and, and telling people, no, you don't question our conspiracies; you you only question the mainstream narrative. You know, that's why it's more, I think, fruitful, or at least an important part of the discussion. One that a lot of people aren't having is conspiracy theory as subculture. Like when people get involved in like questioning the official narrative, and when they kind of get lumped into the conspiracy theory world they end up finding these like strange bedfellows you know um pate mcmichael wrote a book uh, i think it's called clandestine with a k it's about it's kind of like on it's it's examining the um martin luther king assassination and um specifically like james earl ray's um claims that you know he was you know he was a patsy and that you know whoever you know whatever big you know, organization above him, uh, actually killed uh, MLK, and like that started out really as a um, as basically I can't remember his name now. He was, um, you know, he was like an important uh, Georgia uh, politician and, and segregationist in the sixties. George Wallace, um, like one of Bull Connors, like I think the mayor or whatever. But um, it was like you know he he got involved with like uh, liberal like left-wing conspiracy theorists to try to like basically to muddy the waters and like created this like self-perpetuating myth that like James Earl Ray was innocent and now people in the conspiracy world have heard that so many times that they just kind of take it for granted and um you know that's like an example of you know odd you know mismatched people that wouldn't be hanging out like hooking up together or like um Fletcher Prouty who who um was like a, a CIA whistleblower, you know. He ended up at the spotlight, and uh, you know he ended up in like 
far right wing media outlets, but then left like less discriminating left wingers who, who want to uh, who want to blow the lid on the JFK thing, like use him as a source. It's just you know it's its Pro- own. Probably weird was like a world. cold warrior, right? Like through I mean, and through. Yeah. Oh yeah, or yeah. even like um, uh, Ted Gunderson. You know he was a FBI special agent, and you know he served in several large um, FBI offices around the country, and basically like had a heavy hand in um, in COINTELPRO. But you know, the left wing conspiracy theorists, you know, they'll you know they'll they'll embrace him, or not the left wing so much. I think with him, it's more like the anti-government right wing patriot patriot movement conspiracy theorists love him, and it's like he is the government that you're railing against. It's just, you know, strange bedfellows. He, like, he retired from the FBI and he found a job in conspiracy land and now, you know, he's... People, never mind the fact that he was the big brother that the Patriots and the militia movement are so freaked out about. Gunderson was into the satanic panic stuff too, wasn't he? And he was in the satanic panic stuff. Yeah, he, uh... Never met a conspiracy theorist, conspiracy theory that he wouldn't profit off of if he couldn't. He yeah. claimed when David Carradine died that David Carradine was <laughs> killed by a cabal of like Thai hookers that worked for the Illuminati or something. <laughs> yeah, amazing. You know, it's just it never never stops with these people. Well, that's a, that's what, well, that's yeah. The kind of thing that I keep coming back to is there is always a what differentiates the two, and what it gets off into its own um, its own area is that it seems like. This this process of and subculture is like yeah it's cool and exciting it's as the old line goes yeah left wing conspiracy analysis has been you know has been sitting in books uh, in a library for you know unread for decades but right wing conspiracy theory you know you get yelled at you on you know any number of YouTubes uh, on a daily basis and that's the, that's the thing is. Um, I think it, I think it was uh, the uh, an episode of the Trash Future, pro- either Trash Future or Hacks. Uh, two, one is a, one is a UK, the other one is a Canadian kind of like lefty uh, tech uh, podcast. But they they had a game of like how you know how many you know how many links of a YouTube um, re- algorithm recommendation before you hit lizard people videos. But the, you but, know, um, you cut out, so I'm just going to talk over you. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> um, the left wing can the left wing quote unquote conspiracy theorists like the people that you know that's more of an attack on the power structure and that actually could be somewhat of a threat to the system right so that's going to be marginalized but um right wing gun nuts alex jones that is not a threat to the system even if it's wrong even if it's crazy even if it's stuff that the republican establishment don't want to discuss that is not a threat to the system so that's going to be allowed to thrive i mean as long as it as long as it serves a function of like firing up the base or at least entertaining people and you know keeping people away from socialism it's going to be allowed to you know you're going to find that you know recommended to you on you without a doubt yeah, and but but also one of the things about, and I think there's something in the it's in the the uh, the asking you know the question everything or just the people who you know asking the questions. I think that there is a well, in fact, even, there's even like a phenomenon of uh, what they call you know just asking questions. But that is, but it's kind of a thing where um, you're JAQ, and there's even a slam online of like this person is, you know, jacking off. They're just asking questions, scene. But it's, it is also, it is a way to impugn, um, 
something negative against you know whoever you're asking questions of or, or about mm-hmm. without giving without having any evidence that you can you know accuse them of doing something. It's just a way to like just cashiate or cast blame on them. And it's a thing of like yeah, you kind of you want to ha- be able to investigate things, but at some point there is. It's almost like without without any sort of like ideological backing or without a proper framework, you, you wind up like Joe Rogan, just kind of like, you know, aimlessly wandering into um, whatever sort of like, you know, batshit right wing thing, because it kind of, you know, it, it fits your um, your preconceived notions at the time. Because I think I think that the the act of, you know, just asking questions is not, you know, is not necessarily a neutral act. Sure. Well, asking questions can you can ask questions for a number of reasons. You can ask questions because you want answers. You can ask questions because you want to, uh, you know, you want to attack somebody obliquely. Um, And I think most normal human non psychotic people expect when they hear something like stated as a question that they're (laughs) that that like they're going to be engaged in like a intellectually honest dialogue. But um that's like not what the alt right does, yeah. and that's not what like internet trolls do. Um, and it's it's sophistry, and it's really um, it's maddening and confusing when you're, you know, a non psychotic, non alt right person. But that's not what the internet is made for, apparently. I was gonna say, apparently, uh, you well, know, I I feel like I should push back on that a little bit though, because I mean, aren't a lot of the right wing conspiracies motivating a lot of the more radical? movements in the on the right i mean what timothy mcveigh was a conspiracy theorist for example what do you mean what, do you, what was your well, question what do you mean, like, do you, uh, you mean more radical or more extremist except i because I, I, I think the, the two uh, were the, the different things but i mean that these conspiracy theories can be used to motivate some fairly horrific behavior uh that would be a threat to the establishment and i think has in some cases been underappreciated and overlooked by law enforcement. I would say that for the most part, right-wing people forming militias, carrying guns, like that's really what you're referring to. Obviously not bombing the Oklahoma City, the Murrah building or whatever, but like up until that point, the far right, you know, militia movement is not a threat to the system. Um of course you're always going to have people that go too far. Um Well that's the it, end logic. Too, of, of, of the current iteration of the right wing. The, the logical conclusion of all their anti-government stuff is ultimately McVeigh. I mean, they won't admit that, but that's the logical conclusion of their whole uh, end of civilization is coming, you know, the Muslims are taking over, and all their other nonsense and BS. So they get mad when that happens, but it's, it's, they're the ones creating the groundwork for it. And that's the dangerous game that's being played. Someone like Trump in office... Any kind of right-wing ideologue or any kind of right-wing populist will use that sentiment to gain power, like in a narrow-minded, short-sighted way, not thinking about the uh, the possible uh, Oklahoma City bombings or even the uh, you know the Tree of Life synagogue shooting here in Pittsburgh. That was the end result of like far-right, um, you know, of of you know this far-right propaganda being pushed. Um, you know, nobody, nobody, I'm sure, I'm sure nobody wanted that to happen. But I mean, when you play with fire, that's what you get sometimes. Yeah. That's the same week you had the guy ma- mailing pipe bombs that say, right. Yeah. And it's kind of the, um, and that got covered, you know, that after a while that just kind of got washed that, you know, that just got washed away. <sighs> not really. Well, not really washed away. You kind of just got buried with whatever, uh, idiocies happened, you know, the following week. 
I want to say he was a QAnon guy too. And I just thought, what a weird time it is to be alive, where like Caesar Sayoc, like I completely forgot about him (laughs) because, like, compared to like everything else that's happened between now and then, like that's like kind of the least of our worry. Yeah, um, uh, Jacob, you you had a comment. I wanted to say that I'm pretty sure Sayoc was a QAnon guy. Wow, (laughs) possibly. I'm sure. At some point, yeah. It's but that's the kind of. but yeah, um... At least he was Q-esque. QAnon-esque. Say, pal, did I overhear you say you got a friend that's missing? Well, I thought he's missing. He's just not around. Oh, yeah, well, I've been reading in the World Weekly News, you know, just a little while ago. There was a guy out here on the street. He's found wandering around, didn't know where he came from, anything like that. Oh, he's perfectly healthy, but he's a complete amnesiac, you know? A lot of people like that found, uh, just wandering around lately. You know, no history, no nothing. It's weird, huh? You know about the, uh, suppressed transmission, of course. No? Ah, well, this is the uh, 20th anniversary of the moonwalk, you know, and way back there when they given us that one giant step for mankind bit, oh, yeah, another astronaut's in the background yelling his fool head off saying, oh, my God, what's that over in the crater? What the hell is that? Well, NASA cuts him off just like that. But those of us with the right kind of radios, you know what I mean? Yeah, we got enough of it. The gist of it was that there's a giant spacecraft over in the other crater. Looking at them. That's right. Oh, it all begins to leak out then that the space program is just one giant big cover-up. You know, it's a covert operation between the United States government and the Soviet Union. It's been going on for over 30 years. We've been on the moon since the 50s. <laughs> you want to know how we got there, right? I tell you, anti-grab drive, anti-gravity technology, we stole it from the Nazis after the end of World War II. It's perfectly obvious. I, you know, I was watching this Late Late Show. A lot of truth in the Late Late Show. You know, they slip it through there, they figure nobody's watching. But anyway, it's a sci-fi movie called Alternative 3. And uh, it's about kidnapping people, using a little psychosurgery on them, you know, and uh, turn them into zombies and making them colonize the moon and Mars. <laughs> Funny, huh? Except it's absolutely true. All of it. Do you have any tips for, you know, for the uh, uh, folks out there on how to, in, you know, let's just say how to handle more Wilder claims because... You know, like I said, there's plenty of there's plenty of wild shit that happens out there, but there's also at some point it's kind of like there's plenty of dumb shit that ha- happens out there too. And at some point, you know, the wild uh, the wild explanations are there just to kind of like cover. You know, they don't they don't they don't cover malfeasance; they cover someone fucking up. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, well, I, I'll go for it. I, I was gonna say, I think if we're talking about like how to deal with people that that believe in a lot of these like really uh, outrageous more outrageous conspiracy theories. I mean, if you're a person that believes in, like, Project Monarch mind-controlled sex slaves and the 13 bloodlines of the Illuminati, you're probably too far gone. Yeah, there's Uh, that. If you're an alt-right person, you're probably too far gone. Uh, I don't don't know what to tell those people. I think think it's just, uh, if if you're that committed to believing the Earth is flat, I'm not going to convince you otherwise. Yeah, I mean, all you can really hope to do, I think, is, and this is something that, the left doesn't really like to talk about um, often because it's not like a mathematical solution to a mathematical problem. But you just have to like let people into your world, even if you don't agree with them, even if they don't pass a purity test, you know, and show people respect. And, you know, I think I think a lo- I don't think I think that Trump's happened. And I think this conspiracy, like this kind of rabid conspiracy culture has happened because we're kind of primed for it. I don't think it's like any like brilliance on Alex Jones parts. I don't think that it's any like particular like persons like I don't think they're evil or stupid. I think like as a society we're priming people for that and we got to kind of 
figure out a way to reverse that. And I think it's like treating people with dignity and community building and the kind of organizing that gets organized, that gets ignored a lot um, in, in lieu of social media posts. But as far as like your kind of more media literacy question, sure. um, I don't have particular answers for that, except, you know, the, these conspiracy theories are very few, very similar, and recycled often. If you're really interested in this stuff, and if you start looking into this stuff, you're going to see, like, the same tropes and the same ideas recycled over and over. And you get start to get a sense of, like, what's BS and what's not fairly quickly if you're, you know, paying attention. Yeah, and it's almost the thing of, like, I mean, I'm just continually reminded of, like, well, you know, Carl Sagan's line from, I think, one of his last books in uh, Demon Haunted World of... Was it extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence? Yes, yes. And it's like, you know, I hang out with conspiracy theorists or conspiracy adjacent people a lot. And it's like, I always feel like the asshole because I'm the one who doesn't assume right off the bat that like the finders are a CIA mind control pedophilic sex cult, you know? And it's like, since those things don't really exist, <laughs> maybe like, yeah, you're maybe the- you're the one that needs to like, come where i am and then like kind of figure out go from there it's it's amazing i mean people get in the conspiracy subculture just get twisted really quick and it's like and and it's really helps to see it really helps you if you could like take a step back and remind yourself of that it's like i write a lot of stories about conspiracy theorists and just interesting subcultures and strange ideas um and and if you follow the claims of of you know if I were to follow the claims of everybody I'm writing about I would go nuts and I always like forget that and try to follow their claims and then kind of go nuts and then I realize wait a minute you're the one that has to prove to me that the earth is hmm. that was an open question for everybody how much of do you think this kind of like much the the claim exaggeration you know the process of supercharging um supercharging everything in terms you know make a wild wild and crazy and exciting uh, exaggerations on these kind of things happens because most of life is kind of boring and you know dumb shit happens more often than not but we don't really like to uh, you know we it's we are uh, plenty of people are not comfortable with that fact and come up with like sexier and come up with like more sexier um more exciting more vivid um I don't know, kind of like rationalizations for why things happened. Well, that I mean, that's a really good insight. Like, um, I did a s- story in the book that, about targeted individuals, which is like a subculture of people that think they're being like stalked by Big Brother in an out of control government. Which, you know, God knows we have a Big Brother out of control government surveillance state. Right. But these individuals take it to the next level, and when you explore their claims, they're not. They're just like delusional on some level. And more often than not. And um, and for them, it's pattern recognition. It's, um, you know, it's their brain is looking for things to connect together to, to you know, quote unquote, prove that they're being stalked by this, like, government entity. And I think that's just a more extreme example of, like, what a lot of us do anyways. Right, yeah. Um, so, I mean, a lot of it's pattern recognition. But, you know, definitely the thing that, that uh, is interesting that you said um, is that... Yeah, a lot of it is just because we're bored as a society. Like, why why wouldn't you want to live in this, like, post-apocalyptic world? You're buying these books. You know, you're reading, you know, Divergent or whatever. Maybe you're not. But, you know, and um, 
why wouldn't you want to live a life that's more exciting? I think the pattern recognition thing is interesting. For me, the biggest warning sign that I have as far as taking people's claims seriously is whether or not they believe in numerology. Interesting. Yeah, that is kind of the, uh, it's in similar to that end, and earlier, um, I think some that's the thing is like it's not so much that it is that these are irrational processes. It's just that it's a kind of rationalization gone, um, you know, in overdrive of like. Well, you know, people, ex- you know, people explore and practice numerology or tarot or astrology and do get something out of it. Um, and I'm not strictly talking about like airy fairy new age types who are really like who like take those claims very seriously but like you're more down to earth people that see that's you know see that some that get some value out of like looking at the world taking time out of their day to look in the world at the world in that way and then like kind of gain something you know you know it's just like using the right part of your brain as opposed to the left part of your brain so um yeah so even that isn't necessarily even numerology isn't necessarily like total totally crazy if you if you see it as like a as you know as a way of altering your perspective for like a purpose as opposed to just like you know believing in it buck stock and barrel yeah but what i'm talking about is people who are convinced that the kennedy assassination was a setup because of Kennedy's birthday or that the storm is going to be on upon us soon because <laughs> if you look at a typo in Trump's tweet the letters spell uh well can be converted to 17 like that is the stuff that basically if you if you, somebody is on board with that stuff I, I'm backing slowly away usually yeah the coincidences don't exist right. it's all everything is intentional yeah um, well, obviously, you didn't do a proper numerical, numerological analysis of JFK's uh, birthday. Well, I say that as somebody who has some pretty weird ideas about the Kennedy assassination, but this conversation's over. <laughs> uh, that is, you know, not a great uh, source. But I mean, you know, one of the things that I always come back to is to just touch on the investigative journalism thing briefly. Uh, I'm, I'm, I've always been fascinated by Seymour Hirsch because. There are three big stories that he's been involved with. I mean, there's more, obviously, but there was uh, the My Lai massacre, there was the Syria uh, chemical attack, and then there was the work that he did on the death of Osama bin Laden. And all of those were called conspiracy theories at one point or another. And all of those were, all of his claims were aggressively denied by officials. And in some cases, I think history has come out in his favor. In the case of the Syria attack, actually, uh, I think there's a lot more contention. And part of the problem, though, is that the way he works, it's very difficult for him to provide what would be compelling, convincing evidence. You kind of have to take his word for it in a lot of uh, in a lot of cases. And I think that is kind of where things get complicated, though, because it's some you know the there are these problems in the world that we live in where we basically essentially have to take things on faith and um, I actually am skeptical of his claims about Syria but I do actually think that there was something hinky going on with the killing of Osama bin Laden so I'm kind of in a weird position on that yeah and I mean Hirsch is an example of you can look at Hirsch and kind of get a sense of where the mainstream's priorities lie like if he was you know if like like just because something is printed doesn't mean it's real. You still have to like as a reader, you still have to like do the work. You have to do the work, yes, and you have to, you know, maybe like stow it 
until something else comes out in 10 years. You know, I, I understand that like most like most new American news consumers aren't like geeks about it like that, you know. But I mean, I mean, really, if we're going to be realistic, like the value of something that Hirsch comes up with is not going to be readily apparent. But I, I don't believe, you know, I definitely believe that Seymour Hirsch is like making a good faith attempt to do good journalism. And I know that he's often done great journalism. So if something you know, so kind of taking a long view, I would take I wouldn't necessarily believe anything he said um hundred percent, but I would take it seriously. But I mean that just shows where the mainstream is. If it if he was like, you know, had anonymous sources of uh you know, tweets blasting Trump, um or, you know, something supporting, you know, the imminent regime change of Venezuela, um, people in, in the media wouldn't have those questions. Mm. Parents, heed the advice of Pete Rowland's mom. Pay attention. Satanism is not a harmless fad or a passing phase in some of these kids' lives. Ozzy, yeah? I know that your lyrics are less excessive than groups like uh, Slayer or Venom or uh, Iron Maiden or some of the others, but still, for some reason, maybe it's because you've been a around for so long, I see tattoos of your name on some of these, uh, you know, teenage devil worshippers' arms. Wherever I see devil graffiti and satanic graffiti, I see your name also. Do you feel a sense of responsibility, Oz? The only responsibility I feel is is the fact that I, I just I'm a I'm a true musician in um, what I play. I don't I don't want to make anybody start doing all this devil worship crap because that's not my intention. Although I have sung on a few songs about the devil, you know, that's about it, you know, I, I don't want anyone to harm themselves. What that's about the thinking. issue of responsibility? What about the whole thing about guilt? Do you feel responsible? I don't, I don't, feel, I don't feel guilty. I feel um, kind of persecuted by everybody because I'm not a bad guy. I'm, I'm, it, my intentions are not to harm anyone. In fact, it's, it's directly the opposite. Like when people come to my concerts, I want them to have a good, fun evening out, you know. And it's, it's, it seems to me that a lot of people judge the book by the cover more. more. So and they, they write things about me where they don't even know that I talk, what they're talking about, you know. Well, there are lots of people out there, lots of people here in our studio audience who have a very different point of view. We'll get to them coming up next. A look into the dark soul of Satanism. Stay with us. get back to about both the folks whose lives are a little bit like too boring but also i want to say uh, too boring but also you know can't can't abide any sort of ambiguity and need you know like i said they need that per you know they need the eternal you know the the eternal never changing uh fixed firmament of where you know everything it's in its place a place for everything and everything in its place but get, uh, but the two those two impulses feed into um the satanic panic of of a thing of like both you know you had where I mean, let's see how do I want to phrase this because like I mean, there's the old line that so, um that one of the one of the markers of like 19th century protestants is that they a lot of the more fundy uh, fundamentalist ones couldn't handle ambiguity at all and thus uh, those are the ones who who went in for the biblical literalism but also the um but you know bringing that forward um 
you know, Satanic Panic makes, and uh, Fred Clark, or at Slacktivist, has written about this for years, is that one of the things about the Satanic Panic is that uh, it makes things a hell of a lot more exciting. And also, it makes you better because you are not them. It's, if you are, you know, if, if you are constantly in doubt that you aren't nearly, you know, as righteous as you think, you know, you think you should be, and, or you're completely insecure about that, or maybe you're bored, um, you can make yourself a lot better by just amping up, you know, what the enemy is, what the other person is. And it's like, you know, hey, those people who are, you know, they, they're about abortions. They can't just be people who, you know, kind of like sincerely want, you know, uh, reproductive choice. No, they have to be like, they can't just be against you. They have to be evil. And, and then, like I said, there's a, there's like an in-group in, um, amplification that happens where it goes from they're not just evil. They got, okay, well, what's the most evil thing we can think of? Uh, uh, they're they're not they're not just evil they're like they're like they're satanic and um and they're nazis so they're yeah they're they're not and that's where you get the satanic nazi baby killer from mm-hmm. of it's both mm-hmm. of a thing of like you know those you know uh, they, those, those, and it's kind of a thing where, so because those people are much more powerful and much more evil, ju- you know, just by you being the, the valiant, virtuous one, you know, you speak, you know, you're speaking out about them and posting it on the internet, so you're you're fighting back against them. Well, I, I was going to comment on that. It's it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, we were talking about Ted Gunderson earlier, and if I've watched way too many Ted Gunderson lectures, <laughs> but when you really dig into what he's saying in all these lectures. He's really not saying anything much different from, like, the average conservative. He's talking about the hippies and the atheists and blah, blah, blah. He's really talking about secular humanism and saying that's what he means by Satan. The secular humanists are the Satanists to him. I mean, it's it's just sort of like almost like coded speak. I don't know if that's intentional or not. But, I mean, these people aren't really talking about things that much different from the uh, average asshole conservative. They're just spicing it up a little bit with talk of devil worship. Um, and I think people forget that that's what's going on a lot of the time. Yeah, and at some point it's kind of, um, if you if you come from like in a, an authoritarian culture where, you know, kind of where questioning uh, authority figures is kind of, was, you know, it's kind of beaten out of you, then it's just kind of, uh, that just kind of plays into it. Mm-hmm. Jacob? Well, I wonder if there is a religious aspect to it as well, where if you have a society that believes in a vast grand design for the universe, even if the people start to pull away from that, I think there can be a secularization where you have people who maybe don't necessarily subscribe to the idea that trees have demons in them, but that people can also have, you know, evil with inside them, even if they're not necessarily, you know, quote unquote, possessed. Oh God, somebody help me. I'm possessed. And that, yeah, you know, I, I'm reminded of, uh, I think it's M. Scott Peck's book about uh, exorcisms and possession. And he's a, you know, hardcore Christian. Uh, but he was uh, also a fairly prominent, I believe, psychiatrist. And there's actually a fairly large subculture in those in psychiatry and psychology of people who believe in exorcism as a practice catholic or 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 evangelical it's predominantly catholic but there's some other flavors as well okay and you know that really shows how like the same the things we're talking about just echo over and over through time like like he recovered memory therapy and ufo abductions and exorcisms they're really the same phenomenon and and they're really just like playing off of like very basic human needs and desires and insecurities there's a guy um in pittsburgh here named bob cranmer he was the 
Allegheny County Executive, which is like the basically like the mayor of the county. Pittsburgh is like small enough that like it's part of like a larger geographical area. So like the the county executive actually is kind of like the guy that holds the power. And he he was the uh, county executive. And in one year, he like lost reelection. His wife ran up a lot of credit card bills. His daughter became a goth and his father like his brother like fell down the stairs and broke his leg or something. So it's like. The guy decided his house was haunted, and um, okay. he started, like, and he exercised it by, um, <laughs> basically by, like, he bought a DVD of, uh, what's that, uh, Gib- what's that Mel Gibson movie, the, uh... Signs? The past- oh, Passion no, of the, the Christ? Uh, the Jesus what? one. Passion of the, Passion of the Christ. Yeah. The, uh, the so 2004 he, like, one. A, a DVD player and played Passion of the Christ on a loop, <laughs> and then he had, like, priests come to his house and, like spray his family room with holy water um and you know it's so obvious you're reading his book and it's like his you know his like the 16 year old girl got pregnant and that's what he's upset about but you know it's to him it's a it's an exorcism and then that's like kind of like these phenomenon phenomenon we're all discussing are like i think kind of relegated to a very small part of like human experience we just kind of the genius of conspiracy theory is to constantly be renaming like renaming them and kind of re um re-examining them recontextualizing did it work though well you know he said it did but i called him about a year later and he's like yeah things aren't going so well lenny so well i hear mel is thinking about doing a sequel so maybe that'll be the trick i hope that you know i hope there are spiritual qualities of that dv one thing is one thing while i have you guys here i'm kind of curious to get just to get your opinion what do you think about Bernie announcing today? Coincidence? <laughs> oh my god! You know, now, now it's starting to sound like a, like that Time Life, uh, Mysteries of the Universe uh, book commercial that used to run on like basic cable. Chicago, a man is about to get on a routine flight. Suddenly he pauses. He doesn't know why, but he's got to walk away. An hour later, the plane goes down in flames. It's dismissed as chance. Britain. A woman has a sudden image of a black mountain that's moving, with children trapped underneath it. Two hours later, a Welsh schoolhouse is buried in an avalanche of coal slag. It's dismissed as coincidence. I think at one point had, um, I can't remember the actress who, the, had like a famous actress in there, who uh, the lady who played Mrs. Lebowski. Um, <laughs> what was her name? God, I can't remember her name. Sex, Jeffrey, do you like it? You know, she's in one of, she's in one of those Time Life commercials. I would never have believed it until one night I woke up around 3 o'clock in the morning. I felt something cold against my shoulder. It was the ceiling. I was looking down at my own body. Doesn't make any sense to me. I wouldn't believe it for a second. I don't know. I dreamt something once and it came true the next day. Maybe there is something to it. It's all just coincidence. That's what I think. But anyway... Sorry, for Do you remember the Saturday Night Live skit? It was like the takeoff of the Vietnam, the Time Life Books Vietnam War series. It was like the war in Grenada. Oh, if wow. nobody's seen it. You have no idea why why I'm bringing this up, but it is so funny. That's it's like, like yeah, that's not my era. That's I didn't start watching until about '88. So yeah, it was like day three breakfast. You know, <laughs> it was like because you know Vietnam War went on for years, but the Grenada was so short. Every like meal had its own book. I'm looking forward to the Time Life um, on the book, Time Life series on the current um, national emergency that Trump called. 
hopefully we'll, well as i say of course we'll be around long enough to see that because it's like you know uh we're, we're not getting out that's that the easily funny part isn't it what's I that i mean he just he's calling for a national emergency i mean all these uh you know wankers on the right who were afraid of the fema camps and all this stuff they all support uh the idea of a police state now isn't that like funny I'm sorry, find I get fired it, up about this. I find it pretty... Oh, yeah, that's absolutely it. It's like, these people are anti-establishment, and then all of a sudden, you know... Jacob? But, but I mean, what it turns into is they just really love powerful men and guns. And if the government's going to give them that, then it's like, you know, we'll all be jackbooted. We'll yeah. all be brown shirts. I mean, I've talked about this a little bit before, but this is really what I find sort of heartbreaking about Alex Jones, which is, you know, to the extent that he was anti-authoritarian, I kind of admired him, even though he was frequently wrong and insane. But this swerve that he's taken with Trump, where everything that he railed against for decades is suddenly good because it's his strongman doing it, is really pathetic to me well, oh yeah i mean it's absolutely you know alex jones has sucked up to power as thoroughly as anybody could could be hoped to you know like as anyone could hope to it's really just it just show it just shows he's like he's an entertainer yeah uh, john ronson and alex jones broke into bohemian grove back in like 2000 2001 and i think john ronson talks about it in his book they did you like hanging out with alex no, he's, uh, no, he's kind of intense. So we went into the grove and witnessed the owl ritual, which was just as you described it earlier, just kind of stupid, grown up, skull and bones, frat boy yeah. bollocks. I mean, you know, weird that, you know, George Bush would want to spend a summer holiday doing that, but not evidence of actual, you know, satanic yeah. um, activity. But Alex came out of it convinced well, made a video that this, you know, this could have been an actual child sacrifice that we witnessed, and so it's so totally spun it out of control. And I said to him, Alex, I think this is kind of it's kind of irresponsible of you to to do this. You know, I mean, you saw what I saw that this was this was kind of stupid and intense and weird, but it wasn't satanic. And he and he said to me, you know, you know, you know what my people want to hear. Basically, <laughs> yeah, like, I got a show to do. Yeah, I got a show to do. <laughs> <laughs> so I think Alex. I mean, obviously Alex believes this stuff a bit, but he is a showman. Yeah. Um, so why do they do it? I mean, sometimes I think there's like this kind of weird pattern thing going on in their brain that they just have to, they feel this kind of real need to to form patterns for everything to make sense. Right. Um, and then their political stuff comes into it, which means everything has to make sense in this kind of evil globalist way. You know, I had a sort of epiphany coming out of Beaming Grove, actually, which was that, Alex took it really seriously. Yeah. And all the, all the men of wealth and power, all these kind of Mr. Burns and the Simpsons, were taking it really seriously as well in their own way. You know, it wasn't like fun and games to them. It's like, it, it seemed to be some sort of thing to, to make them feel like an elite. To With the tradition, them... the ritual of tradition, it's like, yeah. a, it's like hazing or anything else. It's a secret handshake shit. Yeah. And I thought the only sane person in the entire Redwood Forest seeing that this was just stupid was, was me. I was, I was like the only person who like, thought this is fucking nuts. Yeah. But it's just a reaffirmation of the Brotherhood of Power, mm. right? Which is the same as Skull and Bones. It's weird that they need that, they need that thing. They need those rituals to actually make them feel like they are special enough to carve up the world. Right. It's kind of like the only difference between Bohemian Grove and Davos is that one of them, they let the press in because they can't, because it's in the middle of central of Europe and they can't really, uh, is it, that's the one time when they let some celebrities in or something. I think it was them. Yeah, yeah um, them. Uh, but, uh, Bohemian Grove is is Davos with uh, mosquito repellent. Yeah, and uh, and uh, and uh, and Les Bono. <laughs> There's a movie that I think Harry Shearer was in that's like very rare. It's about Bohemian Grove though. I think it's called like Teddy Bear's Picnic. 
It's yeah. very hard to get. It's comedy. When does it come um, out? You know, it's Rachel really Dad inter- used to play there too. Oh like yeah, Indian Grove. Hmm. Yeah, I knew I hated that band. Um, <laughs> the um, that that's a, actually a really interesting case study for any of your listeners who are bored. Um, watch like John Ronson's Them documentary about Bohemian Grove, and then watch the tape that Alex Jones put out the expose of Bohemian Grove and it's like they're on they they experience the exact same thing they film the exact same thing but their experience is like worlds apart and it really just shows kind of like how your mindset and your how you know how your mindset and how like your agenda really gets in the way of like or or it just defines what you're doing yeah ideology is a hell of a drug but uh, Hook me up. Yeah, there we yeah, go. And that, that TV series, uh, for your listeners, was called um, Secret Rulers of the World. And the episode was uh, the Satanic shed- Shadowy Elite. Yeah, it's like even, you even have to be hyperbolic, like even in that form way back when. Mm-hmm. Um, Can I get one more comment? In, certainly. Go uh, for it. With regards to the conspiracy theory topic, because I, I think it's something that a lot of people overlook when talking about right wing conspiracy theorists and just right wing ideologues in general. Um, I think people forget that a lot of these right-wing ideologues are not acting in good faith to begin with. Like, for instance, I firmly believe that a lot of these anti-abortion ideologues, I don't think they really care that much about abortion. I think they just care about controlling women's bodies and, you know, uh, treating them as baby-making machines for their population group. I know that sounds conspiratorial in and of itself, but I, I think sometimes we have to recognize that right-wingers are not acting in good faith. Uh, I mean, we saw it with Richard Spencer when he was asked recently, uh, does the alt-right really believe in free speech? And he said, no, of course not. (laughs) And I think people have to remember that because I see a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that this is a good faith debate, and it's not. Yes, thank you. Yes, definitely. That's cool. What have you been digging um, also, I'll, I'll throw in a little topic. If you have any uh, for if you have any book rec- well, aside from the many we've already mentioned, if you have any book re- uh, recommendations, uh, sauce out there that you that you think more people should read. Well, if you want like a big weighty conspiracy tone tome, I would definitely check out "A Lie Too Big to Fail" by Lisa Pease. It's a um, it's really a landmark. Um, history of the Kennedy uh, Robert Kennedy assassination it just came out this year on Farrell House and you know she she spent 25 years digging through archives and you know reading things that you know Library of Congress didn't even really ha- like know that they have and the National Archives you know had hidden in drawers and stuff wow. and really just like it's big it's uh, kind of dry you have to be in the mood but if you're into this stuff and you want to understand, like, not only conspiracies as they happen, but what ramifications they have. Like, this is the book to read, definitely. I would also suggest you read my book, Satan Goes to the Mind Control Convention. Manchurian Candidates, Recovered Memories, and the Dark Side of Conspiracy Culture by yours truly, uh, Joseph L. Flatley. It's at my website, LennyFlatley.net, on Amazon, and... Um, I know you're going to love it. Well, I, I definitely second that recommendation. Uh, I have an interview coming out with uh, Joseph and Lucian Greaves about Satan Goes to the Mind Control Convention. So I uh, hope my listeners will uh, check that out. Your listeners will check that out. 
And uh, recommendations if they're interested in conspiracy theories, or um, just anything, or just anything you uh, you've been digging, uh, conspiracy theory related or not. Oh, I forgot uh, to mention uh, Porky's the movie. You definitely want to <laughs> check that out. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead, Jade. Well, I, I was gonna say um, Peter Phillips' work is is uh, really good. He just came out with a book called uh, Giants: The Global Power Elite. Uh, he's the one that wrote the dissertation on Bohemian Grove. That stuff is a lot more level-headed. Uh, there's another author who I highly recommend, uh, Professor Peter Dill Scott. He writes a lot about JFK, but he also writes about uh, the drug wars and the stuff that has gone on in Latin America and in Indochina. To me, if, if anyone's going to read a, a, a person that's in the so-called conspiracy subculture, uh, Peter Dill Scott is the you know guy to go to because he's uh, much more level-headed than you know the, the Alex Jones stuff that is out there. Uh, and, you know, if people can listen to my podcast, Parallax Views and uh, Alternatives at Zero Books with C. Derek Barn, uh, I hope they would like to listen to it. Excellent. Jacob? I think I'm going to go ahead and shout out Knowledge Fight, which is a podcast that I've been enjoying quite a bit lately. It's a podcast where Dan, who knows a lot about Alex Jones, explains the last episode he listened to uh, to his friend Jordan who knows very little about Alex Jones, although I think he's picked up a lot since then. And it is very funny and actually very informative because Dan actually does a fact check on Alex's more outlandish claims. And it's really fascinating because he will actually track the origins of some of the claims that are being made to older sources, in some cases much more racist sources. And uh, it's, it's a little long, but I've really been enjoying it. How many of the how many of the sources are ultimately just like just like the fucking Turner Diaries or something like that? Uh, not too many, but there's a lot of Bircher stuff and a lot more than you would expect, actually. Gotcha. And a lot of them are apparently just random callers, which I would I, I probably not cite in my own professional work. But and I would also like to recommend my Twitch channel, Jacob Mercy at Twitch. Uh, I recommend that you get a tier three subscription if you really want the truth as to what's going on, because the <laughs> the change is coming, the storm is near. And I would also recommend buying my Mercy Mind supplement. It's got all of the vitamins and stuff that you need, and that'll really help you to get like in the right mental framework to just understand everything that's happening i just realized you were referring to your own name and not to the overwatch character that's where my head has been yeah we're working on a licensing deal but it's not you never do uh the two things i will recommend one is a podcast um podcast there are things there <laughs> folks they're a thing now what it's called left anchor i don't think i've re- i don't think i've recommended this one before it's put out by ryan cooper and alexi the greek it's a mix of it's a political commentary but it's kind of a thing where they deliberately want to mix in like both like left theory and philosophy so they'll do they'll put out episodes about um i think you know sample tape like one of them was about uh like judith butler but mixing her stuff in with the 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 yellow vest phenomenon in france or um uh, you know, they did an entire episode on like Karl Polanyi and uh, also, or uh, mix, you know, mix, talking about both fascist violence, but also mixing in some David Hume. So it's kind of a thing of like providing some um, um, pretty good, uh, really informative and, and entertaining talk to lay a lot of the the the, the uh, provide a lot of like intellectual background and grounding. And for pop culture, watch Russian Doll on uh, Netflix. It's eight episodes. It's like each one is twenty odd minutes long. The soundtrack is killer. They have like 
I don't know. I think someone is they they play something like a hundred, hundred twenty songs, and over the course of the eight episodes, that people have of course dutifully gone out and like made a custom spotless Spotify playlist out of. It is. Um, how to describe it? Let's just say it's pretty. It's it's. Uh, I think I'm trying to think of. It's like Groundhog Day, but with a lot more like shitty New York uh, New York art scene people. How about that? And, I like it. Uh, okay, they, yeah, with mix of that, but also there's yeah, there's some like sliding doors in it. There is. Uh, it's a lot of stuff. It's kind of. It is. Uh, it's it's something it's something where you, can, you you know you watch an episode or two you, you get really you get hooked pretty easily but it's it's designed to be kind of a shotgun doll at once it is uh, definitely well worth your time all right and um, going around, around the room let's see let's see uh, contact information and final words where can folks reach you guys at if they have any questions comments um, you know uh, suggestions for decent places to uh, to eat in town. Um, you know, excellent lefty computer games made by other people who live in Pittsburgh, that kind of a thing. Uh, well, I, I'll go first. Uh, I can be reached at uh, parallaxviews.podbean.com and also the uh, Parallax Views Twitter page, which I believe is uh, at Views Parallax. And uh, I, I, like I said, I'm always open for contact, guest suggestions. Uh, so look me up if you have anything to offer uh, for a future show or if you want to collaborate. Thank you. Uh, Joe? Oh, yeah. Um, we didn't go too much into the investigative uh, element of my book, but I really spend a lot of time talking to victims and, well, exploring the stories of victims of uh, recovery memory therapy and um, and I'm putting my book out there in the hopes of you know, creating more knowledge of the problem. And also, you know, if anybody out there has, has, uh, undergone like crazy therapy or has satanic panic horror stories and wants to contact me, um, definitely check out my book or I can be reached on through my website on the contact page, lennyflatley.net, or I can be reached on Twitter at Lenny Flatley. Jacob. Tape an M in your window, and I'll get in touch with you. Excellent. Thank you. And uh, as always, um, you can, if you have any uh, questions, comments, suggestions for decent uh, Korean food joints in Portland that we should dine at, uh, get in touch with us here at, at givingthemic at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at givingthemic. Uh, Facebook slash giving the mic. Uh, we do have a Patreon, so because we're a leftist podcast, so of course we do. Uh, if you'd like to help, help support, you know, give throw us a little bit of a tip or even help us produce this thing, uh, you can check us out at patreon.com slash giving the mic. Um, patrons get the bonus, they get it. We release the episodes a couple days in advance for them, and they also get a custom special um, uh, cat pick email list. As I send out uh, pictures of our now, we're up to three cats doing amusing cat things. And Wait, we, this is a leftist podcast. Uh, according to the New Yorker, we are a we because uh, we did we were we were mentioned once. We are a left leaning unquote podcast. Oh man, I wish I would have known this before we began this whole conversation. No, that happens once again, <laughs> folks. Check out check out uh, Joe Flatley's Satan Ghost to the Mind Control Convention, available at fighter websites near you. I think. All right. Um, once again, thank you very much for staying up late for uh, talking with talking uh, to us about all sorts of uh, interesting topics. Hopefully, uh, any final words for our viewing audience? No. All right, JG. I am completely beat. Thank you again, though. 
All right, Jacob? Wait, hold on. Is it a conspiracy theory to say that APAC is paying politicians to support Israel? According to no, some people. but it might be anti-Semitic. Okay. I think we need to do another episode to dig into. Uh, you go first. All right. Anyway. Uh, right. Anyway, thank uh, thank you once again. I want to thank uh, thank you guys for uh, for devoting a uh, a Tuesday night uh, yakking with us about uh, my loosely framed questions and whatnot. Um, yeah. Uh, good night, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, keep watching the skis. All right, and we're out. Oh, good job, guys. That yeah. was a lot of fun.